Well, good morning. Welcome to those of you who were at camp last week. I had a chance to go down and visit, spend a, wait, a, a day down there. And, and one of the interesting things about camp is that not only the kids go, the young people go, but you have about 30, 40 volunteers that go. And what they do is they basically take, they're retired, they take some time off, or a lot of people are using a week of vacation. And they spend a lot of time down there working hard to create an environment uh, on which our young people are um, are learning about Jesus, and they're learning not just teaching-wise, but they're learning about relationships. They're learning about uh, the beauty of the Lord and what God would desire to do in their lives. And the one thing that's really, really awesome is this. You see a lot of joy at camp. You know, you walk into that kitchen where it's really, really hard to work and it's hot, and they're laughing and having a great time. And you know, one of the things that we're going to learn today is there's joy in relationship. God created us to be in relationship with Him. And, and, and if one of the, the attributes, characteristics of life in the Spirit is joy, one of the ways that you and I see and experience the joy of the Lord is to be in connection with other people, to be in connection and fellowship, to serve and give our lives away. And for those of you that went to camp, we're grateful for your service, grateful for all that you've done to create an environment for our young people to live. I cannot tell you how many times I've talked to a person who's come through Hope Church and they're 20 years out of being out of high school, and one of their fondest memories is going to summer camp and being with God's people and experiencing the joy of the Lord. So thank you to all of you who were able to do that. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. We're looking at a, a summer theme, if you will, and it's called fructiferous living. And most of us have probably never heard of the word fructiferous, and it's a kind of an unusual word, and I get that. But it simply means is this, it means bearing fruit. Um, it's looking at fruitful living. And, and I would hope that through the summer, as we kind of walk and do some different things, what we want to do is we want to be fruitful in the way that we live our lives. And I think as we look at this idea of fruitful living, we can experience God's goodness and God's grace and the expectation that God will do some things in our life. I think that God will, through this fruitful living series, as we look at this, that God will enhance our relationships. Uh, the text says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is, Paul was concerned that we bear fruit. He wants us to bear fruit. We've been changed on the inside. We're radically different people. Christ is inside of us. The Spirit of God is living inside of us. And so there's a natural expectation as being part of God's family that we're going to bear fruit. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you're going to bear fruit. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 4. And by the way, if you go back and read John chapter 15, over and over you have this idea of Jesus telling his disciples, remain in me, follow me, hang on to me, stick with me, don't go any other direction, but look to me. John 15, verse 4 says this, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We must stay close to Jesus and who he is so that we can bear fruit. So our, our relationships will be enhanced as we apply the fruit of the Spirit to our lives. The other thing I think that we have the opportunity to do is this, to be, to be healthy spiritually. I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to be healthy spiritually. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is. So this is my bowl of fruit. I brought this to you last week. Actually, somebody came in today and they said, I I'm going to throw away this bowl of fruit. And the reason they're going to do that is to look at the bananas. Eh, kind of iffy. Uh, you don't want to eat any of the strawberries because there's fur grown on the strawberries. They're moldy. They're probably not going to last another week. God created us that we would bear fruit because fruit is beautiful. Love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness. God wants and expects us to interact with people, interact with, with those that are in, in, in relation to, to us in a wonderful and powerful way. And if I was to show you this and pass it around, you'd go, oh, that looks disgusting. God created us that we would use the fruit of the Spirit in our relationships, even the difficult relationships. Sometimes patience pushes us closer to the Lord because we are dependent upon Him. And I don't know about you, but I want to be spiritually healthy. We will be the expectation that we will be healthy spiritually. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. There's also an expectation that we're going to mature in our faith. It's interesting, when you look at the text of the verse, is is in the present tense. And what it means is this. What the word is means is this. There's an expectation that we're going to continue to bear fruit. I mean, imagine if you were a farmer and you went out and every year you had to plant new apple trees because after the first harvest, the apple tree died and they were no longer living. I mean, what good would it be to be a farmer? The expectation from the word is in the present tense that we're going to continue to bear fruit. Not always in the same manner. Maybe it'd be faster in this way. Maybe a little slower in this way. Maybe some of these things that we struggle with. But what we're going to do is we're going to mature as we round out our lives and find the balance of all of these fruits so that we live in relationship to God and we continue to bear fruit. Whether we're young, old, we're always bearing fruit. Not perfection, but fruit. So the expectation. And, and one last item that we can expect to glean from this text is this. It's a dependence upon the Lord. Because in and of ourselves, we cannot do this. There are times when I am not very patient. And there are times when I'm not very kind. And that's unfortunate. And that's really sad. And I think when that happens, the Spirit of God comes alongside of us and nudges us and points us to saying, you know, maybe, maybe you're a little harsh there. Maybe you said some things that were not necessarily right. See, the text says this, but the fruit of the Spirit. This is life in the Spirit. It's not in the flesh, it's life in the spirit. Look at um, uh, Galatians chapter 5 or 16. Notice what Paul says. And what Paul is doing in Galatians chapter 5, he's offering a contrast. There's a contrast between the, the sinful nature, my life outside of Christ, and my life inside of Christ, my life by the spirit. And notice what he says in verse 16. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And then if you go back and look at what the sinful nature produces, it's ugly. It's, it's absolutely ugly what the sinful nature produces. And what's, what's very telling in this text is this. Paul was really concerned about the manner in which we bear fruit. This is what he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. This is the warning that he gave in the context of life in the spirit and life in the flesh. He said this, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, those who live according to the sinful nature, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because if you're living your life by the sinful nature, you are revealing what you truly live and believe, that you are not necessarily born again by the Spirit of God. And God wants the Spirit of God inside of us to live and move and exist. And we need the Spirit of God in our life. What we want to do is we want to be people dependent upon the Spirit of God to work all these wonderful virtues, characteristics out in our life. And that's what we looked at last week. We looked at this, this idea that, um, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. The Bible says God is love, and God loves you, and He cares for you. And He loves you so much that He sent Jesus to go to the cross and offer Himself as a sacrifice for sin so that you and I might be reconciled to a holy God. That's how much He loves us. 
And in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about we are now indebted to love one another. Because of what Christ has done for us, what we want to do is we want to love sacrificially other people and we want to love them in the kingdom. And so this morning, what we want to do is we want to look at the second characteristics, the second virtue or quality, however you want to describe that. And it's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. If I were to ask you, what is joy? What would you say? Is it happiness? Is it something that you feel, something you've experienced? I would imagine every one of us can look back on our life and be reminded of a time when we experienced maybe joy, graduation from high school or college. You got that promotion that you're looking forward to and that you've been anticipating. What about the, the day that you were married, been engaged, you've been waiting, that day that, you, that, that, that joy that comes from that celebration? Or, or maybe you were anticipating having a child and you were finally able to have this child. We've all probably experienced joy in a variety of ways. What I did was this. I, I wanted to know what, what, is the, what is the nature of joy? What do scientists say about joy? Is there a scientific basis for this topic of joy? And so what I did was this. I, I got on my computer and I Googled this phrase. According to scientists, where does joy come from? And I came across a lot of information. I was able to leave and, and read a bunch of different information about joy. But I came across an article, and the name of the article was this. It says, what is joy, and what does it say about us? And it was an interview by a gal by the name of Pamela King, Dr. Pamela King. And it was in Psychology Today, July 2020. And she's been studying, and she's been doing research on this topic of joy. She's almost made it her life ambition to know and understand the nature and the character of joy. And in this article, I want to just read a couple of things to get your mind thinking about the possibility of joy and maybe an understanding of joy from my psychologist. And this is what she said. A helpful way of thinking about joy is understanding what matters most in human life. Okay, we would, we would agree with that. Reviewing the philosophical, theological, and psychological approaches, I identified three areas that deeply inform joy. Here they are. Number one, Growing in authenticity and living more in line with one's strengths. Growing in depth of relationships and contributing to the needs of others. And number three, living more aligned with one's ethical and spiritual ideas. My identity, relationships, and the values that I embrace all contribute to the greatest understanding of what joy is. And she goes on to say this, I hypothesize that the more one is able to live a strength-based life, reciprocate relationships with others, and live with moral coherency, the more joy one will experience in life. This suggests that joy is not just an individual pursuit, but one that deeply involves our connections with others. This is from a psychologist who's looked at all of these data and has been describing this and writing about this and researching it for over 20 years. And then she says this in this article, we can discover and experience joy in a variety of ways, doing those things we love to do, growing in intimacy or providing for others, and clarifying and coherently pursuing our values. And she concludes with these words, when these domains of self Others and values overlap. That is perhaps when we experience the most joy. In other words, my identity as a person, 
the way that I look at my world and the way that I look at other people, that it's not just about me, that I'm looking at my world and looking that I need to, to be a part of their lives and serving them, and living my life coherently with a prescribed set of values sound biblical to me, that my identity ultimately is in Christ, and that God has called us to live in relationships with each other. And as we're called to live in relationships with others, and I align myself with the very word of God and the principles in the word of God, God is going to what he's going to bring me, this wonderful thing called joy. We're going to experience joy in a mighty and powerful way. The psalmist said this, Psalm 100. I'm going to put it on the screen. Notice what the psalmist said. This is a psalm of giving thanks. This is a psalm of joy. Shout for joy to the Lord and all the earth. Shout, to the, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. No wonder this psalm is about gladness. No wonder this psalm is about joy and rejoicing and giving thanks. Because an understanding of who God is. That God created me. That he loves me, that he cares for me, that I'm, I'm one of his sheep. I'm a sheep of his pasture and that he loves us and he cares for us. And we're to enter into his gates with thanksgiving because of who he is and what he has ultimately done for us. And when I align my thoughts and when I align myself to who God is, my identity in Christ, my identity as God's child, it radically impacts the way that I'm going to live and give me that joy. Peter, a man whose life is radically changed by the gospel, who went from dejection, a man who was experienced this, this departure of, of denying Jesus, wrote these words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Notice how he describes us as Christians. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When I understand that I am chosen, when I understand all of the wonderful characteristics of what God has done for me, I'm a royal priesthood. I'm holy, I'm set apart. When I know and understand the wonderful truths about who God is, it radically alters the way that I will live in my life. And so we have this fruit of the Spirit called joy, and you and I are invited to live according to that fruit of, the, of all of the Spirit. So let me just take a look. Let's just take a look at what might joy look like from this perspective. What are some things from the Bible uh, that we can learn about the topic of joy? Obviously, Psalm 100 should be one of them, that we're to rejoice and be thankful and grateful for who God is. But let me just point out a couple of other things. Number one is this. God is our source of joy. There has to be a source of joy. You know, when, when we see the things going on in our life, when we see the difficulties, when we see the hardships in life, you know, how, how do we approach God and, and how do we respond? The, the Bible says that God is ultimately the source of our joy. Look at Psalm 43, verse 4. Notice what the psalmist says. And by the way, Psalm 43 is a psalm of, of, of oppression. The psalmist is going, Lord, what's going on in, in my life? There's, there's a lot of bad things going on, and I'm being oppressed, and I'm being persecuted, and I, and I don't know what's going on, and I feel the weight, and I feel the heaviness of life going on upon me. How am I to respond? And notice what he says. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, what? My joy and my delight. I will praise you with a harp, O God, 
my God. The, the Hebrew word for joy here means to feel something deeply, to feel and, and display that feeling that God is my joy. It, it actually talks about this exceeding abundant joy that we see, feel, and experience, not necessarily because of the circumstances of our life. That's the psalmist is saying. But because of who God is and what he has done for us that I can see, feel, and experience this sense of joy. As I go to him, I can feel, sense, and experience this part of delight because he's the source of all good things. I found this verse, Psalm 36, verse 9, that I thought was just great. It says this. It's not on the screen, but I'm just going to... It's not. I'm just going to give it to you. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see life. In for with you is the fountain of life. You, you, you are the, the, the beginning of life. You are the offspring of life. As I come and humble myself, as I give myself to you, I'm going to be like a fountain bubbling up, and you're like the fountain of life, Lord, and I look to you. When I was, uh, many, many years ago, I went to Grace Bible Institute, and one of the first things they taught me was Westminster Catechism. And it was about who God is and our responsibility to him. And I learned it this way. Uh, the question is, what is the chief and highest end of man. What is the chief and highest end of man? In other words, what is the chief and highest responsibility that you and I have? And the way that they answered it was this. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy Him forever. God wants that relationship with you and I so that ultimately we can glorify Him, we can honor Him, but we can enjoy Him, enjoy Him forever and ever ever because of what he's done. But let me ask you something. Is God the joy of your life? Is there a sense of joy in your relationship with the Lord? Or, or do you feel like that God is just this taskmaster? Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, we, we look at life as a bunch of rules and regulations of all of these things that we can't do, and God is just this cosmic killjoy out there. What's interesting is this. When you look at the book of Galatians, he actually, Paul actually asks the question of the people, what has robbed you of all of your joy? In other words, something had happened in their life, and it robbed them and all of their joy. Did you see God that way, or do you see the wonder and the beauty of who God is and what he's done for us? So if you um, pay attention to the news, you probably... Um, are aware that there was a huge uh, happening in the science world, in the astronomical world, if you will. The James Webb Telescope, they, they pointed, uh, published a picture of what they found on this telescope, a huge discovery. I mean, just the, the scientific world with regard to astronomy was going crazy because of what they described. And here's a picture of uh, the, what came out. This is the James Webb Telescope, and this is what the people were saying about this. It says, this photo... Uh, that offers humanity a fresh perspective on the mind-bending scale of the universe. Mind-bending scale of the universe. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson said this, If you held a grain of sand on the tip of your finger at arm's length, that is the part of the universe that you're seeing. You see that piece of sand right there? That's what we're looking at. How fascinating this is. In a news briefing last month to preview this image, Thomas is, I don't know how to say his last name, Zerbakken, Associate Administrator of NASA Science Mission Directorate, said this. He said, this will likely be a turning point in humanity's understanding of the cosmos. And then he says this. It's not an image, it's a new world view. See what he's talking about? He's saying, when you look at the sun, moon, and stars, when you look at God, when you look at creation, what is it? it formulates what you think, believe, and feel. 
And see, what the Bible says this, King David, sitting out in his field one night, the great shepherd says this, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And when we look up and we see the sun, moon, and stars, shouldn't it shape our thinking, our image, and who God is and what he has done for us? Shouldn't it resonate deep within our heart? I I think that it should. Listen to the words of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet was writing in a time when the people were going to be exiled. They were going to be kicked out of the land. They're going to be suffered in in Babylon for 70-something years. And and Isaiah the prophet wrote these words. And, And what he's doing is he's using creation to encourage the people. Notice what he writes. Isaiah chapter 40, Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. Does that blow your mind? He calls them each by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And notice what he says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded. The people were complaining, and the people were going, God, have you forgotten about us? What about us? Have you forgotten? We're, 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 we're away from here. We're away from our home. What's going on in our lives? And, and notice what Isaiah does. He says this, Do you not know? He encourages the people. Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Where do you find yourself today? God is is using the created order as a reminder that he loves us and he cares for us and that he wants to come to our aid. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who what hope in the Lord, the creator of the heavens and earth, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not go weary. They will walk and not be faint. It says this, those who what? Those who hope in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, those who look to him because of who he is and what he's done for us. And this God who created this wonderful world that we can look up and see the sun, moon, and stars and see the very handiwork of God. And by the way, in Romans chapter 1, it talks about people looking at the invisible attributes of God and denying those invisible attributes of God and looking simply to themselves. And we look at the created order and we look at all that God's done and we know that God ultimately sent Jesus to this earth to live and operate in a wonderful and powerful way and do miracles and teaching and all of these ones. God in the flesh came to earth so that we might know and experience life in relationship with him. When the disciples were confused about Jesus, Jesus said, you know, I'm going to go away. I, I'm going go to go to die on the cross. They're, they're, they're asking, well, can we come with you? What's going on? What's happening in our life? And, and Jesus said to them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, I, I've come from the wonder of the glory of heaven to give to you a picture of who our Heavenly Father is. Jesus is the, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of who God is. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And this is the God who came to earth because He loves us, because He cares for us, and He wants to be involved in our life. See, I think sometimes we forget who God is, and we forget what He's done for us, and we kind of feel like the people in the book of Isaiah, God, where are you? What's happening in my life? Have you really forgotten about me? And and God simply says, look at the created order, that I love you, that I care for you, that I ultimately sent Jesus to go to the cross and offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. See, what robs us of our joy is we forget how mighty and powerful God is and that he loves us and that he cares for us. And he knows exactly what you are going through in your life right now today. 
The Bible says he has the very hairs on our head numbers. That's how much God cares about us. In the book of Zephaniah, there's a beautiful verse about God rejoicing over us. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 it says this, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And what? He will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with singing because he loves you and he cares for you. In the book of Isaiah chapter 65, notice what the prophet Isaiah wrote to the people. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. What God was reminding the people is this, that I will one day take you back from Babylon. I will one day bring you back to the city of Jerusalem and I will continue to be your delight and your joy. God is ultimately the source of all joy. And, and I would encourage you, don't run from him. Understand he knows what you're going through at this particular point in time. Understand he knows the depth of your pain, your suffering. He knows all of those wonderful things about you. And he can be your source of joy. The second characteristic I believe that we can learn about joy is this. Joy is a responsibility. You know that we have a responsibility? Because my life has radically been changed by the, by the gospel, the Bible calls it the good news of Jesus Christ, there is joy that you and I know and experience when we proclaim the message of the gospel. We proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Recall at the birth of Jesus, remember what the angel said? I, I bring you good news of what great joy. Why? For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. And, and all of a sudden the angels burst forth in joy because of the message of salvation had come in the unique person of Jesus. In, John, in, in Luke chapter 15, we, we have a picture of parables of a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. When, when the lost sheep is finally recovered, notice what is said. Luke chapter 15 verse 5 says, the owner joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he calls home and he calls all of his friends around and he says in verse 6, Luke chapter 15, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. You and I have been entrusted with the gospel, the good news of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we should see that as a great privilege of being able to tell people about how Christ can radically change and alter their lives. And, and, and it should bring great joy to us. John chapter 4, verse 36, notice what he says. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may be glad together. One person over here is sowing the word of God and another person over here is reaping the word of God. And as we go out and as we tell people ultimately about Jesus, there's this great joy that comes as people repent, put their faith and their trust in Jesus. Do you find that expression of joy and wanting to hopefully communicate the good news of what Christ ultimately has done in your life? Notice what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1. He says this, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There is great joy in the partnership that we have with people. Uh, Many of you may not know this. The Paveys are with us this morning. I'm not going to point them out. I'm not going to make a big deal out, even though they're sitting right over here. Um, <laughs> there are missionaries in, in, uh, in France, and they just spent, I don't know, 10 days or so at a, at a camp. Many of the, the young people, probably, probably not Christians. 
And for I don't know how many years, we've had a, a partnership with them. And, and, and that partner should bring great joy into our life because we know that they're going to places that we cannot go and they're doing things that we cannot do. And ultimately, people are embracing Christ. And do we have that sense of joy? Does it burden our heart that people are lost and going to hell and that God has entrusted to us a message that will radically alter and change life? Man, that's the prayer of my life this summer is that God would continue to burden my heart and give me a sense of joy. So God is our sense of joy. There is this aspect that we have the privilege of reclaiming joy. And the last thing I want to point out is this. Joy is relational. That's what Dr. King ultimately said. Joy is relational. In other words, as I live my life in the context of relationships, I'm going to experience joy. Because what's going to happen? Because people are going to be pouring their life into my life. And hopefully I have the opportunity of pouring my life into their life. And as we gather together, as we become as iron sharpens iron, what we will do, see, and experience is this idea idea of joy. Galatians chapter 4 verse 13. Let me see if I can point this out from the text. We get a little background of what's going on with the people here. Galatians chapter 4 verse 13. Notice what Paul writes. This says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. And said what? You welcomed me as if I were an angel, as if I were Christ himself. He had some kind of eye ailment. We're not sure. Probably with his eyes. Maybe he couldn't see. And he said, listen, when I came to you to visit you, when I came to visit all of these churches, you would have plucked your eyes out for me. You would have embraced me almost like you would have embraced Jesus Christ. That's a, a beautiful picture of relationship. But notice what happens in 15 and 16. There's a break in the relationship. Notice what he says. What has happened to all of your joy? I can testify that you could have, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? What happened? Paul was the founding pastor of this church. He'd gone to this church. He told them about Jesus. He established all of these wonderful churches in this church. But now something has happened. Something has robbed them of their joy. What had robbed them of their joy is a broken relationship. Paul is ultimately right here. He's confronting them with the truth, saying, listen, you have gone back to living by rules and regulations. You have abandoned the gospel. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to point you in the right direction. I'm going to confront you with the reality of the truth. And there's this break in our relationship. Don't we know what it's like to feel that break? And if you've been married, when I'm at odds with my wife, yeah, I feel it. I feel it. I, I experience it, and it's not good. Or, or maybe with your child, there's that break of a relationship and you kind of feel it and sense it. Or maybe with a friend, co-worker. You know, when, when that relationship is broken, we feel it, we sense it. We realize that something is wrong and what we need to do is we need to do the best that we can to try and fix that relationship, if you will. And what God is reminding us is this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will see God. That God has called us to be peaceful. And you and I, because we are born again by the Spirit of God, we are different because the Spirit of God is living inside of us. We, not in our own strength, but we have the capacity to live entirely different lives. Love, joy in the midst of these relationships. Because God is the one through the Spirit of God who will give that to us. Romans chapter 12 verse 5 says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. The only way that we can rejoice and weep is if we are in context with each other. And what God does is God calls us to live in the context of relationships with each other. I know that's hard to do. It's difficult. It takes time. It takes energy, emotional energy. 
We would really like to just kind of to pull away and, and live on our own little world and say, you know, I, that, that person's a, a, a challenge and that relationship's going to be really, really hard. But that's not what God has called us to do and to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Notice what Paul writes us. He says this, Not that we lord it over, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. We work together in helping people see and experience joy by the relationships that we have with one another. God has called us to be in relationship. You know, one of the, the beautiful pictures of summer camp was all of the smiles and all of the laughter and all of the wonderful things going on because all of these young people living in the context of relationships and encouraging and building up one another. There's something that happens when you live in that, and it brings great joy to our lives. One last verse, and then I'll be done. Philippians chapter 1. Paul is saying, listen, guys, I, I don't know what to do. I'm really struggling here. I I, I want to be, and I want to go to heaven. I, I want to go, and I want to be with Jesus. So there's this tension, there's this conflict in my life. Philippians chapter 1 says, It's convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and what? Joy in the faith. There is joy in our faith. Life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, who is and what he's done for us. He's conquered sin. He's conquered sickness. He's gone before us. He's our advocate. He prays for us. I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. God wants to use you. God wants to use me and the life of other people to stimulate them and to encourage them and to help them become the kind of person that God would want us to be. People filled, overflowing with joy. Is God your source of joy? I sure hope he is. Is God that uh, wonderful source of joy that allows you to want to proclaim the message of Christ to those who do not know Jesus? And we have the great privilege of being able to do that. And last thing is, are, are we living in context of community, helping other people to grow in their faith so that they can experience joy? There's, there's one last joy that I'm not going to talk about um, because I just don't have time, and it's this. God gives joy in difficult times. God gives joy in difficult times. And maybe you're in that place right now. Maybe life is just really stinky for you. And maybe your life's not really good and your job's doing this and you're in bent relationship with this person. Life is really bad. And God says, listen, I can give you that joy. Maybe the circumstances won't change. And maybe what's going on in your life won't necessarily change. But if you will give yourself to me and you will entrust me with these things, if you walk in faithfulness to my word, I can give you a supernatural joy that is born of the very spirit of God to live above those circumstances. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about all the bad things that are going on in his life. And he says, when we are weak, what? We are strong. Why? Because God gives us the strength that we need to move. Even in the midst of our pain, God can give us joy because of who he is. The world cannot give that. I necessarily can't give that to you, but I know that the, the Spirit of God can. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, I, I do want us to be people of joy, ultimately because of who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. Father, I thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Father, thank you that we can rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And, and Lord, we do that because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us in our life, that he ultimately went to the cross and bore our sin, bore our shame, so that we can be rightly related to a holy God, that the Spirit of God would come and live inside of us and radically change us. And we find our identity in Jesus. We thank you for that. And Father, when we are weak, ultimately you are strong. 
And we thank you for that. Father, I pray that if there's anybody struggling here this morning with this concept of joy, that you, through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, maybe someone speaking truth in their life, would encourage them and build them up. Father, thank you that you ultimately are the source of our joy.